Um, If you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 12. Um, One of the things I said when we first started this journey is that we, this was an opportunity for us to climb into the MRI machine on a weekly basis. If you've ever been in an MRI machine, it is tight, it's uncomfortable, there's a lot of questions, some mystery, but it requires your participation because there's something that um, is going on that you need to discover that that MRI machine will help you with. And so on a week-to-week-to-week basis, we've been navigating this MRI machine where God's been revealing some things in us. And tonight he's going to reveal greed. So I thought, you know, there's no better shirt to wear than Biggie Smalls to help me navigate the world of of greed. So here we go. um, This was a gift from my son during Christmas, and the promise was I had to wear it publicly. So here we are. If you've got your Bibles, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Um, If you would stand with me as we read God's word. As we get into this, I want just to be very clear. We're going we're gonna to find out that greed cannot be removed, only replaced. It cannot be removed and only replaced, and there's one man who came to supplant greed. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Man, that is the American dream right there. That's it. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock. Man, fear not. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that you do not, that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. Bless it. Amen. You may be seated. I want to title this this brief talk, the, the greed that lurks, the greed that lurks. 
It was 2016 when my wife and I, we were able to fulfill kind of a lifelong dream. About 2016, 2017-ish, um, when we were able to, uh, to build a home. Um, it was a you know, 2,000 square foot home in Spring Hill, Tennessee. But man, this, I mean, have you ever been there where you get the chance to choose everything? I mean, you, it's a little bit daunting. And I, to be honest, I don't know if I'd ever do it again because it was that daunting. But like, it was kind of cool to be able to pick. Everything's new, everything's fresh. Well, when we moved up here, we went from a, a brand new home to a 1987 adventure. Oh, have, have you ever had one of those where you buy a house, especially in this market, where, man, you're buying a house, but you know that there's a story behind everything, and there's some adventures to be had, and there were some mysteries, right? Uh, and within three months, we had our first adventure, mystery. And uh, it started with, you know, I, I would walk to my refrigerator, and the floors just felt a little different. So, yeah, this, it just feels unique. It's like, I, you know, like, you know something's there. You, you know that there's something lurking, but you don't know what it is. And it's so annoying because you're like, okay, I don't know. It just feels like you, 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 you test the same like, tile like three times. And then it went from, it felt weird standing to like something smelled a little different. Well, I've got two dogs and three sons. I mean, the smells are, are replete in my home. So that, that wasn't abnormal. But, I'm, but then the smell was like, this is, this is a little different. Then, three days later, uh, it all led to the discovery that I could not ignore. In our basement, it, it was like somebody had a faucet right above our washer-dryer and turned on the faucet. Just, um, Turned out that uh, our previous owners who gave us a gift, um, they decided to fix a, a little wire behind the refrigerator, but they did a little duct tape thing, and, and it broke. And so the, the water dispenser was leaking for three days, creating adventures all through our house. It was lurking. Three days passed. The leak we knew was lurking somewhere. It revealed itself by its gushing in our, in our basement. What, what I love about this text what I love what Jesus does with us is he works from a, a, a beginning, a starting hypothesis in this text, with this story, that in our heart, no matter who you are, greed is leaking and lurking. Now, I, I know you're like, you, you hear that and you instantly go, nah. The reason you go, nah, is because every one of us is surrounded by someone who's a little bit better than us. And you look to that person and you instantly you, you get yourself off the hook. Because, I, it's not, I, hey, I'm not that wealthy or I'm not that um, adventurous with my money. I'm not, I don't splurge like that. And so most of us think that we're middle class and, and, and stingy. And, and we're good. Greed isn't a problem. I mean, I, I'm, I've been a pastor for 20, 21 years. I've had discussions with a lot of people about a lot of different things 
No one has ever come and said, Pastor, I need to confess. Greed is in my heart. I feel it. Like No one does that. Now, what's interesting, though, is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, this is what Paul does, because Paul doubles down on what Jesus... See, you read Jesus' beautiful text, and you can easily just go to the next thing, but Paul says this. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So it's, look, let's just, let's just get it all out there. Let's just allow the MRI machine to begin to wash over us just for a second. Let's, let's participate in the process for the next 30 minutes that God might be wanting to reveal the lurking leaks of greed in your heart. He might want to do that, not because he's mad at you, not because he's trying to attack you, not because he's trying to, to, to um, some, somehow uh, embarrass you. No, no, no. This is about you becoming more like the image of the firstborn son. Now, let's start with this. Let's just, definition of terms. What is greed? What is materialism? And for most of this, I just, heads up, I um, love Pastor Tim Keller. And he has done an amazing job um, with a, a, a few resources. And so most of my, what I'm going to pull out of here, if I don't quote him, he's in here. Okay, just FYI. So this is how he defines greed. It's an inordinate desire or concern for or dependence on money or material things. So it's an inordinate reliance upon cash, money. But here's the thing, though, is that when you think about greed, we instantly think it's about possessions, but it's, it's the focus of greed is not specifically on possessions, but affections. You have to know that from the beginning, that it's not about what you have. It's about how that thing makes you feel, about the longing that you have for it. So, okay, we know what greed is, but how does this thing work? What the Bible says is that greed is an, an eye sin. It's really interesting because greed is, is surface, and it's always connected to something else. It's one of the only ones that's simply a surface expression that always is pointing to something bigger. And so, so what, the way that it works is that it's, it's an eye sin. It, I mean, if you read in Matthew 6, even uh, Luke 11, it says that when your eye is dark, your whole body is dark. Well, what's he talking about? That when you, your eye, when it instantly begins to get dark regarding the impact of greed in your own heart, you lose sight of its rule in you. You see it in everybody else. You don't see it in you. So it makes you think the following. I'm middle class and frugal. I got no problems with greed. I love to save. I love to compile, store up. So What's fascinating, though, is that it's so easy when we're surrounded by people who are a little bit better than us, we instantly think that it's their problem, not necessarily mine. For some of us, we go, I tithe, I'm good. Or for many of us, we go, I have no money, how can I be greedy? I'm broke. <laughs> but remember, it's not about possessions. It's not about possessions, it's about affections. So remember, if this is a surface sin, 
Money simply reveals what we're after. Right? So if you say I'm frugal or I'm careful or I'm cautious or I'm not greedy, I, I'm, I'm like pursuing just constantly saving things, what the reality might be is that you need money to have power and control over an uncontrollable world. You see how that's a surface sin? It's one thing that just reveals where your reliance, where your rest, where your need is. Or you say, well, no, man, look, I'm generous. I love to bless people. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Here's the reality, though. Here's the potential reality. It could be that you use money to win the approval of others. Just, just a potential. You see, it gets a little bit uncomfortable. That, that what Jesus is doing, he's beginning, again, he's, this thing is leaking in, in all of us. In all of us. And, and what Jesus says, you see, he, he actually, he has this, this disposition where he says, beware of every kind of greed, which means there are multiple facets of it, right? It has multiple strands. I mean, it, you've got greed in, in your heart regarding money, regarding power, regarding your job, regarding how you look, regarding beauty, I mean, there, there is greed that is, is, is all over, and we're seeping in it. We're resting in it. We are in a petri dish of it. And Jesus is saying, watch out. It's undetectable. It, it's invisible. And he's, this is the only sin that he says, watch out, be on guard. I mean, he doesn't have to say be on guard for adultery. Because if you're in a room... Somebody who's not your wife, you, you don't look at him and go, oh, oh, snap. You're, you're not my wife. How, how did this happen? No, no, no. You, you don't watch out for adult. You, you systematically, with decisions, step into that. You do that with, we do that with every other sin. This is the one, the only one, where men, this, it just sneaks up, it leaks you feel the floor is different. Is there something going on? I don't know what it is. I can't really see it. And so what Jesus does is that he's going to, in just one, one second, he's going to give us some symptoms of the leak. But if you don't believe me that there, this is a problem for, for all of us, there's a couple thoughts here. Americans make f more than four times as much as the average person outside of America but we spend 98% of that on ourselves. We spend more money on eating when it comes to we eat out, more than we give to charity, according to the Washington Post. More, more money on our pets than helping the poor. More money on pornography than combating oppression and injustice. And it's not because like we're in a tight spot. I mean, like that has nothing to do with it. Recession and all, like that has... Americans give less to charity today, percentage-wise, than we did in the Great Depression. And just consider a house. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is gonna involve all of us. So this is a group project. Okay, I'm just. We're all gonna be uncomfortable. A household income. Again, Washington Post. A household income of six figures puts you in the top half of one percent of people worldwide. And yet, 
Only one-third of Americans who make six figures say they feel like they have enough money to buy what they need. So the richest 1% in the world feel like they don't have enough. So what does that translate to? What that translates to is that there's an addiction to debt. 71% of all credit card balances in the country have only the minimum monthly balance made. Americans spend over, on, on, on average, $1.26 for every dollar that we earn. We save, I, I know, just, just let this wash over you. We save less than any industrialized nation in the world. Germany, those Germans, they save 10%, 10% every year. Americans save negative 0.5%. Like, like what this does, this tells me that the human heart, the longing of all of us, we are desperate for transcendence, for belonging, for purpose, and we are taking all of our resources and we're going all in on something that doesn't go all in on us. Like we're searching for it. And I love Andrew Delbanco. He's professor Columbia, this is what he says. As people spin faster and faster in the pursuit of merely personal happiness, they become exhausted in the futile, effect, the futile effort of chasing themselves. The lurking suspicion is that all are getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. Amazon Prime when we wait for death. Netflix while we wait for death. I mean, spending and spending and new car and new house. And, and there's this longing for something. Surely this is going to help me receive a satisfaction I need. I have to have and I hope money does it. And it's leaking, leaking and gushing. And what this story in Luke 12, what it does, man, this is stunning what Jesus is doing where he is taking one man who has just stepped into the lifetime crop he had imagined and dreamed of. He had it. He'd finally gotten it. And, and what, what he ends up doing with it is he ends up being a container for that. That which holds and eventually what he holds rots. It ends with him. He stepped into the greatest moment of his life, and instead of him being a conduit, he becomes a container. I mean, in, in Genesis 12, the whole Abrahamic covenant is this, is this plan that God has with his people that you are blessed to what? To be a blessing. So it's, it's for the human flourishing of the world. It's for the shalom of all of the world that now God is going to bless his people, not so that they can be containers, but that they, they can actually be conduits and bless and bless. And you bless me and I bless others. You bless me. And this man keeps it for himself. And little does he, I mean, what the, the context doesn't give it, but if he were only to lift up his eyes, he would have been surrounded by literal abject poverty. In this day and age, 
the, the, the normal Jew would have been taxed 80%. And so everyone was desperate. Everyone was longing for hope, for resource. And this man had it. And he could have been an answer. What does he do? He keeps it. So what Jesus does is he gives us a few symptoms that you need to look at to see leaking in your soul regarding greed. First one is, is worry. He says in verse 17, what shall I do? I'm just going to ask a few questions. Um, I've been asking these to myself, so I'm just going to bring you into my discomfort. Do you find yourself worried incessantly about your financial future? Do you hear the following voices echoing in your heart? What's going to happen to my retirement? Now, it's one thing to save. It's one thing to prepare. It's one thing to be a great steward. But it's another thing altogether when the hope of money becomes so valuable that now it takes over your thought processes and your scrolling and your phone time and your checking NASDAQ. Oh, man, where's the stocks at? What's going to happen to my retirement? What's the future of the economy? What if I never make the kind of money that gives me a first-class life? Will I be second-class? I've been slow to save for college for my kids. Have I stunted their future? Again, constant worry. And, and if you, again, going back to the home analogy, if you, like car carbon monoxide is the silent killer. Like we all have carbon monoxide detectors because you don't know if it's in your house, right? Like when, when it comes to wor worry is a carbon monoxide, it'll, it'll, overcome you it'll knock you out and then your your gut response is just to take an iron fist and start controlling everything you can do you worry do you boast he says this i will tear down verse 18 tear down my barns and i'll build build bigger ones do you realize what he's like even the the idea of this being a temple almost like tower of babel Got him building these new newborns. Why is he doing it? Because he's wanting to boast. He's wanting to let all of his dudes know, look what I got. Do you use your money to make a statement? Do you want shoes that wow? Again, I love shoes. Love them. Too, I do. But I have been in spaces where I've used the purchases that I wear with the wrong intentions. I've been there. Do you have a purse that really you just you love because it turns an eye? Do you feel yourself trying to keep up with others? Man, it's amazing how when it comes to money, it feeds the competitive nature in all of us. And it, underneath it is like this sneaking suspicion that I'm better than you. We don't mean to say that. We don't want to say that. It's the leak. The leak. Do you feel more important when you make that big purchase? When you're better economically, can you automatically assume you're better? You're untouchable. Your mood is better. You're good. But boasting can go in the opposite direction. 
that you, for some of us, we don't boast with all the big purchases. We boast with the things that we're not buying. Man, I'm not spending. I'm saving. Or I would never spend that type of money ever. We make sure everybody knows. When someone says, hey, man, it's a nice jacket. Oh, no, no, no. It's not. I got it from Target. <laughs> but, oh, okay. Well, it's still a good jacket. I mean, like, again, I think we've, we've been there. Like, we understand. This is what I mean by that there's several types of greed. Agree to have power and control and influence or agree to let everybody know, no, 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 I'm not that guy. Or he, he, he isolates. This is a big one. He says, I will say to my soul. He says, I or my six times in three verses. I will say to my soul, greed and autonomy are two sides of the same coin. just want you to know that. This is what I mean. Do you find in your heart secretly that you say, no one can tell me what to do with my money? Do you make financial decisions alone? Can anyone stop you in your financial tracks? Man, it's silent. This is real. Like I'm bringing you into my world. This is my world for the last four days seeping in all of these questions that are haunting me. Are you alone? Again, are, are, are you alone in your decision-making pro, pro, processes? And for many of us, we are. Many of us, we just keep at such a fast pace, we don't even think about the purchases that we're making because we don't want to, because we will end up going here. Who have you authorized to have access to greed in your heart. And Jesus, in a roundabout way, is making an appeal to you and I. Do not trust yourself with the power of greed in your heart. Don't trust yourself. Here's a great example of it. Andrew Carnegie, um, we all know, you know that, that name is U.S. Steel. By age 33, had was top five richest people in the world. And he took, at the age of 33, a ruthless evaluation of his own heart. But he did it in a note-to-self type of a memorandum. It was in his journal. It was a private moment of acknowledgement. And this is what he says. I think I've, I've got it behind me. Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. Therefore, should I be careful to choose the life which will be the most elevating in character. To continue much longer, overwhelmed by business cares and with most of my thoughts Holy upon the way to make more money in the shortest time must de degrade me beyond hope of per a permanent recovery. I will resign business at 35. But during the in in ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and in reading systematically. This is a powerful moment of acknowledgement 
The only problem is it was in private. He did not bring anyone into this. Result, this man created over 2,000 libraries, almost as a gift to his employees, but to get the guilt off of his own conscience because he kept making money year after year after year, and his own employees would come back and say, we don't want a library. Please give us higher wages. I mean, we're working 12 hours a day, every day in ungodly heat. We're passing out. You're not paying us enough, and you only give us one day off. And of the six days we we do work, we're we're required to work 24-hour day, one day, 24 hours. This man had the opportunity to turn, and he didn't. Why? Private. Personal. Isolated. Who has access to your heart when it comes to greed. And then the last one is money comfort. Verse 19, relax, eat, drink, be merry, man. You got the life. I mean, this dude has it all. He's He's got the influence. He's got the power. He's got the resource. All he's using for his own comfort. Wants bigger barns for a bigger life. And this decision was done effortlessly. You have to see that. Effortlessly. What checks do you write? Payments do you make that are effortless? Is giving to this church or to charity, is it effortless? Does that one hurt? Does it sting? you consider cutting it out when it's a tight month? Is it effortless? This is what Jesus is doing. He's just trying to bring us in to the drip. Do you feel safe when your financial prospects are abundant? Do you feel more important when you have more? Do you feel intolerably vulnerable when money is tight? Do you feel lesser, deprived? If everything was taken from you right now, would you be handicapped, broken? See, the conclusion of this, of this, what Jesus is doing with this man, is that we are to see that he's building a a temple And in the temple is his treasure. And he is the God of his land. And he puts money in the treasury. And he worships. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. God saw this man as like a a broker. Brokers invest money with the direction of, and the purpose and the values of the investor, right? When you go outside of those values and direction, you are acting fraudulently. God is the great investor, and he's levying judgment on this man because of the decisions that he's making. He is literally defrauding God. 
by the way that he's operating with this money. God sees him as a broker, as a conduit, not as a receptacle, not as a, as a location where it all ends with him. No, no, no. He is releasing abundance to this man as a broker for him to steward what's been given. I mean, imagine if you give that check at the end of the year to your broker and they look at that cash or that, that check as personal money to them to help their kids go to school. Man, throw in hands. I mean, are you serious? Like, with all of us, we would go, call the cops, and let's get, get a beat down. I mean, like this, is, like, this is fraudulent activity. It's fraudulent. Jesus is saying the same thing about the way that we operate with the money that he's extended to us. And as secure as this man thought that he was, his power, his influence, and his resource, it was not enough. And so, what's, what's the cure? I'm going to fly by this real, real quick. This is so beautiful and so simple. This is what he says. Fear not, little flock. What's the cure? Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, sell your possessions. Give to the, give to the needy. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this. Greed cannot be removed, only replaced. It must be supplanted by the one, though rich, became poor, so that we might truly be rich. Do you see what Jesus is saying in this text? He's saying that the Father finds his pleasure. While this man finds his pleasure in taking and keeping, the Father, he finds his pleasure in giving you and I the king and the kingdom. Every other treasure requires you to die to purchase it. I mean, let's just think about this. If you want a career, it's going to demand a few things of you. You're going to have to come correct. You're going to have to give your, your time, your energy, your best years. You're going to have to die to get it. Fame requires that you lose yourself in order to get something that you want to attain. Like you want influence, you want followers, but it's going to require some of your character, some of your standards. You're going to have to do whatever it takes. It's going to cause you, ask you, demand for you to die. Beauty. The time and the energy, the focus, try to attain something, you're going to have to empty yourself to get it. Every other treasure makes you die to get it. Jesus is the only one that dies to purchase you. Let's just wash over you. Jesus is the only one. I mean, just, just imagine this. What, whatever you set your heart on, the thing that you sacrifice yourself for, thing that you pay any cost for, that's what you treasure. I mean, you'll, you'll maintain it, you'll defend it, you'll sustain it, you'll reclaim it. And Jesus says, you're the treasure. He says, you're it. But you are my chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. I mean, think about what Jesus did with his treasure, with his life. He gave up his divinity. 
He gave up his sonship. He gave up his place. He gave up his comfort. He gave it for you. And when you see him dying, because you were the treasure of his heart, he will become the treasure of your heart. When you consider, man, forget about the money right now. When you look at the one, look at the God of all creation who condescended to now extend himself to you that says, I will be with you to the very ends of the ages. I want to give you myself, the king, the kingdom. I'll give it all to you. Suddenly, when you see him as who he truly is, Money won't necessarily be the security you're longing for. It'll be replaced by something bigger. And, and I love this because the cure isn't a one-time surgery. It's more like a retainer. If you've ever had kids who you try to get them to wear their retainer, it's a full-time job. But a, a retainer is the consistent, ongoing placement of something that is defined and perfect, put into your mouth to reshape, redesign, and re-implement health into your mouth, taken over time. You can't necessarily tell if, you've been, if your teeth are getting better if you've taken it for three days. You put that thing in for six months, it will redesign, it will bring health back to your mouth. This reality of what I just said has to be a retainer you put into your life every day. Every day, you allow this reality to wash over you that you have a treasure who treasures you. So now, what does he say? As a result of how I treasure you, now give away what you have. I've got the spirit of Miata Jones on my life. And you know what I thought? Thought about jumper cables. Jumper cables are all about my tangled jumper cables. Just imagine if they were untangled. The whole goal is to take and connect to life and be a conduit that transfers power to that which has none. And doing that, relying on the power and simply being involved in transferring it to that which needs it. What Jesus is saying, he's simply saying this. Now that you know where your treasure is, now that you know who treasures you, connect. Like, begin to connect. But don't just connect. Man, this has to reevaluate the way that you do money, man. It has to. It has to reshape. It has to cause you to see there is some gushing water coming into my like house right now. There, there actually is. Like it is, it's, there's gushing there, there's gushing there, there's, there's floors here. I mean, the, and there is, that is the proof that the kingdom is coming alive in your heart. Is that you can at least acknowledge for the first time ever, your eyes open up it's, man, it's not, you're not blind to it. Your eyes aren't darkened to it. Man, your eyes are open to where the darkness is, to where there is greed that's killing you. It's killing your family. It's reorienting the way that you do life. It's 
causing your passions to be fully engaged on something that's going to give you something that you desperately need. And now you're not just seeing and attacking the greed, you're attacking what the greed is feeding. It's, remember, this is surface. There's something bigger. So I want to read this verse. I'm all, I'm all out of time. Um, actually, you know what? I'm not going to read this verse because I don't have it. Hey, can, can, can you put 2 Corinthians 8? I think I sent you verse 9. Do you have that? Yes. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I just want to take a few moments. I want to pray and ask for the Spirit of God to just do some surgery on our hearts. The one that was rich became poor so that now he could come close and, and be our treasure. He treasures us to be our treasure so that we don't have to put the reliance on the treasure of money. Man, God wants to open up some eyes. God wants to convict some of us. God wants to, to lead us into a spa space of like real repentance and brokenness. I'm saying, God, forgive me. Man, this has been... This has been controlling me. This has been my security. Man, I've been in isolation. Man, for some of us, it's time for you to go, like you need to invite somebody in to look at your resources. Not in a controlling way, but as in, as in, when it comes to inclusivity. Going, I need, I'm doing this to obey the Spirit of God. I, this is so uncomfortable. Can you help me see where I'm being greedy? And for some of us, we're so overcome by worry. We worry, we worry about our kids and the future and our homes. Some of us, man, we are making statements with our money because, man, we feel like there's something in us that needs to make a statement. Holy Spirit, will you do surgery in our hearts? Will you do it in me? This has been such a hard and such a fulfilling process, preparation. For this message. God, you're awakening my eyes. You're opening me up. I don't want to go back to this world of just being hypnotized by busyness and hypnotized by the next purchase and being hypnotized by what I think I should have. Oh, God, will you open us up? But then will you make us generous, freshly generous? For some of us, we've been tithing forever, and it's so comfortable. It's so easy, and it's time for you to go beyond the tithe. It's time for you to get stretched into generosity where it stretches you and you don't go to the calculator to determine it. You go to the cross. Man, if the cross, if you look at the cross, man, forget the calculator. Look at the cross. Allow the cross to cross you, to cross your heart. And then, and then to now take you to spaces where, man, you're uncomfortable and for the first time ever, you're actually being generous. For some of us, man, it's time, time to tithe. I know you got questions, man. Is it a New Testament, blah, blah. Look, those are good questions, but that's an excuse. For some of us, that's a straight up excuse. You got, if you have a question, we want to theologically walk with you. We do, we do. We've got answers. We want to partner with you in this process. But for some of us, we're using that, we're deflecting with obedience, with excuses. It's time. It's time for us to address the drips. Lord, we need you. We honor you. Thank you for your presence. You're at work. 
In your name we pray.